What is good, guys? Welcome to the Top House Podcast, where we analyze and break down sports games from the week, as well as reactions and predictions from this past week. I'm Hansel Chu along with Kaden Mutamid, and we have a lot to talk about, so let's get started. So first, we have the Thursday night game, Steelers against Browns, where the Browns won 29-17. And Kaden, let's get a little reaction going. What did you take away from that game? I mean, well, the Browns were supposed to be something with Deshaun Watson at the start of the season, and unfortunately... Yeah, we know what we know what happened to him. We don't really have to dive into that. But Jacoby Brissett, I feel like, has really stepped up for this team. He's an accurate QB who makes very little mistakes on offense. For sure. And I think, like you said, Jacoby Brissett, it was good. But I also think the Browns, they're going to really have to heavily rely on that run game until Deshaun Watson comes back. I mean, we saw from that game script, Nick Chubb, 113 yards, one touchdown on 23 carries. Kareem Hunt had 47 yards on 14 carries. So you combine the two, that's only 37 carries between two running backs, which is a lot for one game. For sure. And I feel like these are probably, like, we can say that this is probably the best one-two punch that we have in the NFL for oh, running for sure, backs. Yeah. And just diving into the wide receivers, though, they haven't been stepping up for late as of late for the Browns, but they sure did this game. And Amari Cooper getting seven receptions for 101 yards and a touchdown. And David Njoku, maybe a name you not maybe not have thought about to get nine receptions, 89 yards, and a touchdown. For sure. I mean, they did pay Njoku over the offseason, I believe. Oh, yeah. Like a pretty big contract. So it's good to see that they're utilizing him. But like you said, these wide receivers are going to have to step up. Cooper, I did like to see what he did this game. He had seven receptions, like you said, for 100 yards and a touchdown. Last week, he did have a great game as well for nine receptions for 101 and one touchdown, which is pretty good. It's a good direction you see Cooper going in because that week one was kind of horrendous yeah. as we saw. But I mean, we'll see what's going on with Cooper. Hopefully he continues to like stellar play because these wide receivers are kind of slacking. I mean, you have Rashad Higgins, which almost was a non-factor, I believe. Yeah. Donovan Peoples-Jones only had one catch for 10 yards. So, for the Browns to be successful, I feel like these wide receivers do have to step up. But, yeah, like we said, I don't think they need to play that much of a factor, to be honest, because I really do like that run game. And I think that's the, what their game script is going to be for this whole year, run and pound. And this old line for the Browns has been revamped. They're really good, ranked at least, I think, top five on according to PFF. So, this old line is really great for the Browns to get their run game going. And for the Steelers' side, Najee Harris continues to struggle once again. It's hard for him to get into a rhythm, probably because I think the O-line has been poor, to be honest. So it's 56 yards on 15 carries for Najee Harris yesterday for one touchdown, and only three receptions for five yards. What did you think about those receptions? Well, it was as if like he, he was not going anywhere after he caught those catches, so I say they're a complete non-factor. Three catches for five yards, that's pretty much... It's, no, it's nothing. <laughs> And um, while he always is a factor in their run game, as you said, the O-line is atrocious right now. And currently we're just watching the dysfunctional O-line try and block for him. And so he's not really getting anywhere. I mean, for Najee Harris, you saw last year, he was great on the ground. But I think where he stood out from his rookie season was his ability to catch the ball. Kind of like Christian McCaffrey, Kamara, catch the ball and, you know, get yards from the catch from the line of scrimmage. But this season's kind of been hard for him to get you know yards after the catch because I mean look we saw yesterday only three receptions for five yards I feel like defense are kind of targeting him now on receptions so when he gets to the ball I feel like it's gonna be one two even three people just on Harris trying not to get him the ball downfield for sure and one thing I do want to comment on I feel like the biggest trait that he's just showed and how he's outstanding at throughout his rookie season and even entering into this one is his ball security mm -hmm. I think he has yet to fumble not which, yet. in his NFL career so that's impressive itself, but going back to what you were saying, 
about those receptions. He was toggling them up. Maybe like I say on average, maybe five, six receptions a game. Mm-hmm. And it's as if there's no correlation to that player he was last year right now. Yeah. I mean, Trubisky, because Najee Harris wasn't able to get production on the ground, 56 yards on 15 carries, that's less than five yards per carry. I'm on four-ish. So it's average, not great, not bad, but it's mediocre. And, you know, they were trailing throughout the game. That resulted in Trubisky throwing the ball 32 times, but only for 207 yards. When you see someone throw the ball 32 times, you can expect at least 250, almost 300 yards for that game. But Trubisky only had 207 yards. And for that game, Deontay Johnson was the leading receiver for the Steelers for eight receptions and 84 yards. And let's talk about George Pickens. I think you saw that catch. And yeah. I think you know what where a, I'm going at right what a, now. What a catch, man. That's Only three receptions for 39 yards, but that 39 yards was a big 39 yards. That yep. one-handing catch over the rookie corner, Martin Emerson Jr. Mm-hmm. Do you see anything special with George Pickens that kind of one, one time I pass have, type of thing? I have, for sure. Um, I'll name a couple things. To start, I feel like his confidence is something that he definitely doesn't lack, and that's a good thing because his game is backing it up, and I think he can be that guy for the Steelers. But the coaching as of right now, is focused on getting others involved, let's say like Pat Freermuth or Deontay Johnson, and they maybe do not see him entering those two. For sure. I mean, George Pickens, I think he kind of has like that Odell Beckham type of feel for his game, I think, mainly because that one catch with that one hand was pretty Odell Beckham-like, but his physicality also reminds me a little bit of a DK Metcalf type of player, where he's physical on the ball, physical, getting off the line of scrimmage, Mm -hmm. on his release, and I think... He's going to be a great player for the Steelers, but again, I just don't see that game script going out for him. I think Trubisky is targeting Deontay Johnson yeah. as his number one. Fireman didn't even have that much of a good game no, yesterday yeah. either. I was, I was talking mainly in weeks past, but yeah. Yeah, so I mean, Deontay Johnson is there. Chase Claypool has kind of been a non-factor as well, but I just feel like that game <laughs> script isn't just there for Pickens, which is kind of surprising to me because Pickens could be a really great player for this Steelers team, but... You know, we'll just have to see the, the later weeks if, you know, the game script kind of goes toward him as well. Yep. And for the defense, for the Steelers, it's kind of been a little bit struggling, I would say. No TJ Watt because yep. of that torn peg. So yesterday, that pass rush only had two sacks on the game. And I just feel like because TJ Watt's not there, they're not able to get pressure, especially with Jacoby Brissett. Yep. He's not the most mobile quarterback. And I mean, if you see TJ Watt there, I feel like he's going to get sacked pretty easily. So Yeah, honestly, I feel like Jacoby Brissett, while he it, he may struggle may have struggled with TJ Watt for there for sure. I feel like it's mainly because he's he does a good job of getting rid of the ball if there's any pressure, whether it's throwing it away mm-hmm. or just simply finding a receiver downfield. That's something that I think he has down. But yeah, back to the defense. Um, I'll toggle it a little bit to the Browns. Um, you saw I don't know if you've saw seen, but mm-hmm. Anthony Walker sustained an injury. He's gonna be held out for the season. He was having a very impressive oh, really? yeah. year so far. Yeah, but. I think it was a calf injury that's going to halt him from mm-hmm. play- the rest of his campaign. And so that defense just takes another hit. And uh, what was his name? Jeremiah Owosu Kormora. I yep. think he also got another injury as well, I saw. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, a lot of injuries going on, piling for this Browns defense. But I think that secondary, though, needs to really step it up as well. That yeah. front, is, I think it's still solid. You always have Miles Garrett, which is a one of a lifetime generational type talent. So the pressure is always going to get there. But... That Brown secondary is honestly looking a little suspect right now, I would say. We have star players like Denzel Ward, John Johnson, Greg Newsom. I feel like those three collective units should be enough. But we kind of saw last week against the Jets that they were kind of exposed a little bit. They were 
I mean, they let up 14 points in what, a minute and a half? Yeah, and that Corey Davis catch, the wide open one where there was just no coverage at all, it was atrocious. Yeah, and then I think this game, I mean, good thing they still won the game and they had Mitch Trubisky in the back. And, you know, not a lot of receiving options for the Steelers, but still, it's still a little shaky to me. I feel like once they fix that, I feel like they have a good chance of maybe contending in the playoffs. Maybe not winning the division because you still have the Ravens, but... I feel like if they step up that secondary, they could be a great factor once Deshaun Watson comes back. I agree. And now, now let's move on to the Ime Udoka suspension. And I know you're a big Celtics fan, so we're going to get your reaction a little bit later. But for the listeners that don't know, Udoka has been suspended for this entire season for having intimate and consensual relations with a female worker on the Celtics. And reports came out today from Shams that Udoka made unwanted comments toward that same female worker. So I know you're a Celtics fan, so let me just get your reaction right now. I mean, honestly, I'm just disappointed. Like, we had such high aspirations going into this year, making the Malcolm Brogdon trade, bringing in Gallinari. Of course, he's injured now, but um, seeing Udoka go down like this, it's not something you want to see after the first-year coach mm-hmm. takes the team to the championship, you know? Yeah. Now, we're going to have to do a lot of fixing, but I think the Manzula, the mm-hmm. replacement coach for the Celtics, is going to do a good job. But going back to the... The ordeal, man. He's facing a suspension, and that's the punishment for this year. They still have yet to find a resolution as to what they want to do for the future, whether he's going to get fired or not. So there's a lot counting on him for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of sad to see. Uh, and they went to the finals, and we saw that whole season last year for the Celtics was a whole roller coaster ride. They started out pretty weak, I would say. They were oh, for sure. They were the 11th tro- seed, right? Yeah, like we were the they were the 12th seed at one point. And by midseason, like right before All Star break, they just took off ten ten game win streak. Oh yeah, I mean, I think a large part of that was not only the players getting together, talking about having an identity together, but also Udoka's leadership skills and his coaching, making adjustments. You know, making the proper lineup adjustments. You know, rotations as well, and that played a great factor defeating the Bucks, the Nets, the Heat in the playoffs. Unfortunately, they weren't able to get. You know, a defeat for the Warriors, but that whole season, starting from where they came from, from the bottom, and now they, you know, they took off, came to the second seed. The adjustments they made against the Nets, the adjustments they made against the Bucks, the adjustments they made against the Heat, it was great to see. You know, I thought this was gonna be a promising future for the Celtics. Maybe you know they were able to win the championship this year, but you know, unfortunately, this thing happens, and it just kind of sucks. But also, it's like you have to be a little better than that, Udoka. Yeah, I mean, you do have a wife as well. And I just feel like you just have to be—you just have to be better. Like you can't just be doing stuff like this, especially not from an organizational standpoint, but just as a human being, as a man, and know. a father. Yeah, like you can't just be doing stuff like this, especially with the Celtics. Like if those were the Hornets or like maybe the Pelicans, <laughs> they'd be like, oh, okay, like okay, whatever, we'll get the next guy up. But I mean, you're the Celtics. This is a historical franchise, seventeen championships. Everyone that goes through the Celtics, not only as a player, not only as a GM, not only as a coach, they're all legends. They're all great, you know, representation of the franchise. So when you have stuff like this, it kind of brings down the franchise, yeah. especially with the expectations for this season. I know for you, you have championship aspirations this year. So the stuff like this happens, it really sucks to hear. Definitely. And one thing I wanted to touch on is the fact that the Celtics had a shaky start to the season is because they didn't know the coaching staff. And once mm-hmm. Udoka earned his respect from the players, that's when we really started to change. And I feel like the main reason that they were 
sus- they suspended him in the first place is because after this, the, te- the team probably didn't have the same respect for them, uh-huh. for him that they probably did. And therefore, there was bound to be some disjointed ke- chemistry issues mm-hmm. underlying what's been going on in Boston for the past five years. And so it's just like, you know, you don't want to fire him. You don't want to suspend him. But these actions can't go without say, without like yeah i mean what do you think for the future for the celtics now because you has been suspended and to be honest i'm gonna feel like he's gonna get fired or something yeah. like this we saw with um the the sun's owner this last week with those comments the misogynic racist comments mm-hmm. uh, towards his staff and you know even though the nba fined him and banned him for a year you know the he was collective, yeah the collective outcry yeah. was hey get him fired get him off the seat and he did after mm-hmm. hearing the public outcry, the public response, he decided to resign. So for Ime Odoka, it's not the same thing, but it's almost on basically the same thing as well. His actions toward a female worker with this day and age, you know, is unacceptable. So I probably would think he's going to get fired. So what does this mean for the Celtics? What do you think? It means they're going to have to start back from square one. Mm-hmm. And... That mean by by saying that I mean that they're gonna have to figure out the coaching. They're gonna learn the play style. It's not gonna be all that different because Menzula was an assistant coach and he has been for the past like few years for the Celtics. Mm-hmm. So they know his style definitely the the main core at least that they've had for the past few seasons. And I think that they're gonna have to adjust for sure toward the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, it's getting them to play together. That's gonna be the true thing. Robert Williams also. Out eight to sixteen weeks. Just saw that report yeah. earlier today, and so it leaves them without a center for the good chunk of the first month of the season. So, with all this stuff going on right now, Caden, with the Celtics for this upcoming season, where do you see them landing or finishing in the Eastern Conference? Because now you do have the Bucks, the Nets have come back together surprisingly. Yeah. With all the offseason drama, they're still all back together. You do have the Heat coming back. You know the net, the Bucks, like I said. No, Hornets are on the come up. The Hawks have Dejounte Murray coming in. Chicago Bulls. So with all these different teams, Cleveland not to like not yeah. to mention Cleveland got yeah. Donovan Mitchell. So with all these star-studded teams in the Eastern Conference now, and with the direction the Celtics are going, which is exponentially going down, where do you see them finishing in the Eastern Conference this year? Well, listen, you asked me this question a month ago. I would have said no doubt they're going to the finals again. Because their roster was so talented and they had coaching and there was really not anything that they lacked. But now seeing that the coaching situation has changed drastically and it's still the same roster, but you're going to have to struggle a little bit. You're going to find they're going to have to find themselves. I do see them making it to the playoffs, of course. I see them going far. Um, the thing that gets me is that the experience that Mike Budenholzer has with the Bucks mm-hmm. that makes it really challenging for me to try and take one over the other i think both of those teams are going to be in the eastern conference finals this year interesting i think they're going to finish around the fifth sixth seed maybe even the playing tournament seventh seed to be honest because wow i mean yudoka did play a really big part in them coming back from that horrendous start from the beginning of the season last year and the adjustments he made though yeah like you said he got the respect of the players and his leadership was really what defined that season and really turned it around for them. So without him and his adjustments, the way he coaches, it's really going to be hard for these players to honestly come together because we saw that report last year. The reason why they were able to make this far was not only the players coming together, but the coaches 
also coming together as well with the players. They all became one unit. And the trust that they had with each other was immaculate. You know, they all trusted each other. But now you still have stuff like this coming around, you know, that kind of loses the trust of all the players. So when the next head coach comes up, maybe the players are going to be like, hey, like, is he going to be like another Ime Udoka? Is he? Are we going to be able to trust him and not have anything like this? Because now he's not going to be able to coach them for almost a whole year, maybe even longer, maybe even not at all anymore. And with the injury to Gallinari, you know, you have another big role player that's going to go down. Then Robert Williams, like we just heard, isn't going to be playing for almost a whole two, three months of the season. So with all these injuries, they're going to honestly, they're going to fall pretty down in the standings. And it's going to be hard for them to come back up. That's what I believe in. And with the East right now, they're not like the poor East that LeBron was in where it was Cleveland and the rest of the bums. Now it's like you have honestly eight, nine great teams start competing for a playoff spot. And one of them is going to get kicked out. So with the Celtics, with the stars at the Eastern Conference this year, I don't know where they're going to rank. I don't think they're going to be top five, probably the sixth or seventh seed, to be honest, with all of this stuff going down. What do you think? Um, I, I disagree. <laughs> uh, to say the least, I mean, that, yes, the coaching staff did take a huge hit with Udoka, and they don't have their vocal leader anymore. But like I, like I said earlier, this team did make the championship last year six games the out to the Warriors. They're going to want to be back. They're hungry to try and get back to where they were. And they had a taste. They had a taste of what they could have had, and now they're going to crave it, and they're going to go far. I think this team, while they do lack Udoka and his strengths that he brought to the team, this team together wants to compete for a championship so bad that they're going to find their way to work. And as deep as they are, having the ability to have Brogdon, Derek White, Grant Williams off the bench... Would have been Gallinari as well. They have Pritchard. They have a very talented bench. And their starting mm-hmm. lineup as well. I think... Oh, and um, Robert Williams' injury, I think he's going to play a few weeks into the season. So it's not that that big of a deal. But mm-hmm. it's just... I don't know. As you said, maybe they don't land the top couple top few seeds, but I do see them making the conference finals. Okay. I mean, to be honest, though, for your side, I do think that new coaches somehow... In this recent modern era of the NBA, they carry their teams to great playoff success, whether that's the conference finals or the finals. We've seen it a lot throughout these past couple of years, to be honest. We have Frank Vogel with the Lakers in 2020, and the, the Raptors with Nick Nurse in 2019, Steve Kerr with the Warriors in 2015. So, and just now, Ime Udoka with the Celtics. They didn't win the championship, but they made it to the finals this past year. So, you know, a lot of these new coaches coming in, they do play a great factor they do help these teams get all the way to the playoffs maybe into the finals as well I mean the last year the Clippers made to the conference finals for the first time and who was their coach Tyron Liu first time so for you that's what you could probably hope on hopefully this next coach could you know take them back to the finals as well and we're going to end it off with some week three predictions we have a lot of great matchups in week three most notably the Bills and Dolphins we will talk about that right now what are your predictions for that one the Bills or the Dolphins well, I feel like the offenses for those two are just on a different level right now. Probably two of the top three in the league right now. However, one defense in my mind is a lot stronger than the other. And so while I think it's going to be a close game, I do see the Bills taking this because of the strengths of their defense. However, they are missing a good chunk of their secondary. So that could be deadly if Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle have the games that they've been having recently. Mm-hmm. So I, see, I could see it going either way. 
but my prediction would be that the Bills win 31 to uh 31 to 28 let's say interesting interesting I do have the Dolphins upsetting the Bills on this one I know I know I know the Bills look like they're the most unbeatable team right now in the league we kind of predicted last episode the Bills and the Titans it's going to be a tough one but hey the Bills are going to squeak it through King Henry's going to go off nah that wasn't the case I mean Stefan Diggs just went nuclear Josh Allen looked like he was just playing Madden on rookie level the Titans had no answers what was it 41 to 7 was the end score <laughs> yeah I don't think that was that close to our prediction right you know it's a little bit <laughs> off but no nah, for this one though I just feel like something about the Dolphins at home and I just feel there's uh, there's something swaying an upset for the Dolphins right now the way they played in that fourth quarter I feel like that was a big momentum changer, not just for like that game, but maybe the season, almost the yeah. whole season, to mm-hmm. be honest, the way they played. And they're back at home with all these fans. And Miami is honestly not, it's kind of a hard place to play just because the way the Suns angled on the field, if you know what I'm talking about. In that stadium, with their time, like half of the field is covered in sun and half the field is all shade. Mm-hmm. And for Miami, that's a great home field advantage, especially with deep threats like Waddle and Tyreek, where they're just super, super fast and they could get lost easily. I just feel like the Dolphins are going to squeak this through, not in a not super big, but it's going to be like I would say twenty eight twenty one, just because both defenses are great. But I just feel like the Dolphins are going to squeak this one through. And they're going to make an upset for this one. And specifically for that game, there are a few questionables as well. Gabriel Davis is not 100% healthy. Neither is Dawson Knox. Neither is Car- uh, Neither is Micah Hyde. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to see whether these players will end up playing. But for now, let's assume that they're healthy. And I do, I do think the Bills are going to win. But as you said, there could be an upset as well. Another one of our 10 o'clock games on Sunday morning will be the Titans and Raiders. And for this one, I do have another upset, the Titans beating the Raiders. My explanation for this one, King Henry has been stopped two straight games. That is almost unbelievable, unexpected. And with this Raiders defense, they're not great at all. I'm going to be honest. Their, their run defense, their pass defense isn't that good. And King Henry's going to run all over them. There's no way he's going to get stopped three games in a row it's just not happening i don't see that happening at all king henry's going to go off for at least 150 and they're at home as well and for the raiders they do have Derek Carr. they do have renfro adams waller but i just don't think that offense is going to carry them enough where the defense is going to be able to stop the t- this titans offense i see your logic in that However, the Titans have been nothing short of disappointing this year to me. Their defense has been mediocre while they were supposed to be like super star-studded, and their offense has had minimal production from anyone that's not named Derrick Henry, and he's struggling. Mm-hmm. So I, while I do see the chance of them, like Derrick Henry, of course, having the games that he did last year, he, did, he is coming back from a torn ACL injury, and that, those could be career-altering. Mm-hmm. So this could just be the new Derrick Henry. We, we're still yet to see. Of course, I may be completely wrong on that, but judging off the way things are going so far this season, the Raiders have had two close games, and they've lost both of them. I think they're not due for a win. That offense is so talented than the defense with the new addition of Chandler Jones, and they're just going to they're gonna have a blowout win. I, I really think that the they're going to have a statement win. They're going to win 
35 to 17. Interesting. So two opposing takes for this 10 o'clock games. On the next one, we have Ravens and Patriots. Your home team. Yep, the Patriots. Um, <laughs> okay. So going into this game, Lamar's on a tear. We've seen it. Unfortunately, they did blow a lead last week to the Dolphins, but that, that group is so well put together. They have the development of Rashad Bateman going well. Devin DuVernay is now officially healthy for this game. And Mark Andrews, man, in my opinion, the best tight end in the league right now. Interesting. So, yeah. So you got the Ravens winning this one? I, I, as, as a Patriots fan, no bias. The Ravens will win this game, and I don't think it will be that close, honestly. Uh-huh. I think the Ravens will win, let's say, 35-21. I do agree. Ravens should easily win this one against the Patriots. Bengals, Jets, what do you have in that one? I have the Bengals kind of easily winning this game. The Jets, they're great. Bengals are struggling, but I feel like this is a bounce-back game for the Bengals. What do you think? Um, I think the Jets are coming off of a great win that they had against the Browns, mm-hmm. and I, I am very, very intrigued by Garrett Wilson, and he's been that guy for them right now. And Joe Flacco has been kind of like being <laughs> a, a little bit of a surprise. I've seen him in... The, the passing yard leader race, yeah. and it's just a shock to see him at this age and level still doing that. Vintage but, Joe Flacco. Yeah, vintage Joe Flacco for sure. But I, I I do see the Bengals winning, but I will not be shocked if the Jets do. So I think the score will be definitely close. I'll say 28-24. to 24. Interesting. I but mean, if the Jets will, win that game, the Bengals, I don't know what they're doing. They're not yeah. going to make the playoffs. They're just going to have to rebuild from there yeah. if that happens. Then we also have the Chiefs and Colts. I got the Chiefs winning this one, actually. Mm-hmm. And I have that 35-21. to 21. The Colts, they just look like they're struggling. I don't know what they're doing. Pittman, hopefully, he, if Pittman comes back, maybe the game would be a little closer. But I just yeah. don't see the Chiefs losing, losing this one at all. Um. These are two very good teams, in my opinion. The Chiefs have been on a roll. Patrick Mahomes is looking like an MVP candidate right now. Travis Kelsey struggled last week, but before that, he's been on a tear as well. Um, They have that same team. like They have a really star-studded team, which they have been for the past few years. However, I think it's fully possible that the Colts take this game because of the fact that Jonathan Taylor is due for a a good game. Matt Ryan is honestly doing well in that system and I think this game does come down to whether Pittman will be there healthy and able to secure the nine reception 100 yard game that he's kind of grown to into that role you know yeah and we go to the NFC side we do have a great one right here Green Bay and Tampa Bay who do you have on this one right here um I have the Buccaneers winning this game although they're down Chris hope most likely Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, I think they will take this game as well. I believe so as well. Tampa Bay should win this one at home just because this defense of Tampa Bay is looking really, 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 really well. And well-polished. They're all moving together. The chemistry has been great. I just don't think that Green Bay has enough weapons to kind of defeat this Tampa Bay offense. Or Tampa Bay defense, excuse me. And we have the Sunday night matchup, Broncos and San Francisco. Maybe this is a little biased, but I do have the Broncos winning this one. I just feel like they just have to figure it out. There's no way they've been struggling this long. They have to figure it out. If they do lose this game, though, it's going to really give a really, really big question mark in my eyes of whether this team is able to compete for even just the playoffs, not even the Super Bowl, just the playoffs. But yeah, honestly, yeah, for me, this game, I do think that the Broncos will lose, but I think their season's going to turn around and I think they're going to figure it out. But for this game, I 
think that they're going to experience problems with the 49ers defense because that pass rush is deadly and the linebackers are crazy. The only way they have uh, the the Broncos will win this game is if Russell Wilson's on this point, passing to Cortland Sutton, passing to Jerry Judy, and just having them just stack up their receiving yards. I think that the Niners will take this, though, for sure. For sure. And we have the Monday night matchup, which honestly was pretty intriguing now now that the Giants are 2-0 and and the Cowboys lost Dak Prescott. Who, who do you have winning this Monday night matchup? I have the Giants winning. I think that Saquon, Saquon Barkley against this defense is going to dominate, whether it's going to be in the pass or through the rushing. I think that the defensive line for the Cowboys is going to struggle. And although the, the there, there are question marks for the Giants O-line, I think that they're going to figure it out and dominate through the run game for this win. Interesting. I do have the Cowboys winning this one. The Giants, they do look great. They're 2-0. But what I saw last game was honestly mediocrity. And they're not as good as they were against against the Titans. Saquon Barkley has been great. I just love to see Saquon being oh, good yeah. back again, oh, healthy. Yeah. But <clears throat> I just feel like the first game was a bit lucky. The second one was against the Panthers, who has also been struggling as well. I feel like this is a come-back-to-reality come type game for the Giants and the Cowboys should win this game. It's not going to be a blowout for the Cowboys like we saw in previous years. Mm-hmm. I must say a close 20-17 to because both offenses are not looking great as well. It's going to mm-hmm. be pretty low scoring. For me, I, I agree. The score is going to be low as well. Um, I think I'm going to say, though, the Giants will win 21-17, to and that's because I just have no faith in Cooper Rush. I don't think he's, <laughs> he's going to be half the man that Dak Prescott is, and I think they're going to lose this game because of it. Interesting. And next week, we'll see if our takes do uphold as well as some other games as well. Yes, and, we will. hey, maybe we might have a punishment for the loser <laughs> that got the, you know, the most wrong picks at the <laughs> end of the season. And that's all we have for today. And for more episodes, check out Top House Podcast on Spotify. I'm Hansel Chu along with Katie Motambit. And we'll see you next time.